Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show. Don't forget that song. Have you got a song that really means something to you in your life? Is there a story around that song? Let me know. I have a great prize from Specsavers and Ticketmaster to give away again today and each day this week to one of you. It's worth €264. All you have to do is tell us about the song and tell me the wee story on air. Get cracking. Get in touch with us now. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1850-715-958. You can call in as well. Lots of chat and guests as usual over the next couple of hours. But we begin today with our regular on Tuesday. Yes, I thought I'd be saying goodbye to him a few weeks back. It looks like he'll be here forevermore. Well, he's very good to us. He really is. He's the head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Professor Paul Miner, welcome back again. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. I just see Dr. Mike Ryan um, this morning saying, look, don't lift the restrictions. Not enough people are vaccinated. And I presume he's talking in a, a world context there. But w- would you say like his words are applicable to us here? I think the, the this Delta variant, Jerry, is obviously taking off in a number of countries. And I think I read somewhere this morning, I think it was... 20 different countries, this may have come from the WHO as well, there's 20 different countries where it's an exponential growth now, which means it's really, really taking off and we're probably going to be one of them, I would say. So wherever it it gets a foothold, it will take off and I think the numbers will increase significantly. I think that was probably prompted and maybe that commentary was prompted by the fact that Boris Johnson announced yesterday Mm. in the coming weeks the UK were going to lift, essentially lift all restrictions, which probably surprised me a bit. I think there's probably risk associated with that in terms of, you know, going away from masking, social distancing. It's almost a complete return to normality. So uh, that probably did surprise me a little bit. In terms of our own case here, Jerry, I think we've generally been very 
cautious. Um, okay, it has been delayed in terms of indoor dining. Uh, I don't think we were, you know, suggesting anything as drastic as or as extreme as what the UK have proposed. So I think generally we've been certainly. I don't think uh, anyone could anybody could say we've been anything other than cautious up until now. I would say. The other Ryan, Minister Eamon Ryan also today going into a cabinet meeting saying, no, we won't be influenced by the UK. We'll continue to open in stages. But look, let's talk about Boris for the moment. This is a punt, I would say. No, no man looking at his track record. Risk versus reward. You know, this is in the back of the mind there. They're saying now, just in the last hour, that there could be 100,000 daily cases in the UK. But here's the thing, Paul. Is it a fact that they believe those cases will not, you know, uh, turn into hospitals being overrun? Yeah, I think that's the big question because with, with, with numbers, I think it's around twenty twenty five thousand per day now, and it's doubling. Latest I saw was about every nine days. So you could certainly see how it's possible to get up to those high numbers with that phase of growth. Now it depends in terms of when that curve begins to bend over and when it begins to decrease. Some indications that the rate of daily increase was maybe reducing in the younger age groups, which is probably a good sign. But coming back to your point, Jerry, absolutely in terms of that link between infection and serious illness, hospitalisation and death. Uh, so that link hasn't been broken, I think, in the sense that even with our vaccination and the UK, you know, has like about 50% of the population, the entire population have been doubly vaccinated. And even with that, that link hasn't been completely broken. And for a number of reasons, there's still the unvaccinated population. And then some people will be vaccinated. Some people, a small percentage, will still remain vulnerable uh, to the virus. But while that link hasn't been broken, it's been severely weakened. And even if you look at things like uh, infection fatality or case fatality rates, whereas previously with the alpha variant, it was up around 2%. It's down now to about 0.3%. Now, that's not to say that the Delta variant is less uh, deadly or less uh, fatal in terms of if you were to contact the virus, it's probably more got to do with the fact that, you know, younger people are getting it and the people who are vaccinated have been protected. So that's the real thing. I think that's the, the number that the UK will be looking at. And from our point of view, Jerry, it's it's going to be very, very valuable in terms of seeing how these numbers pan out mm. in the UK. There are already a number of weeks ahead of us in terms of vaccination, but they're also ahead of us in terms of the growth of the Delta variant. Now, we're not too far behind now because I'd say most of the virus we have in the country at the moment is the Delta variant. But certainly over the coming weeks, and we're going to see now in terms of by lifting all of the restrictions, what the effect of of that will be. So that'll be very useful in terms of informing our future decisions with respect to lifting additional restrictions. One of the points he did make yesterday, which I sort of agree with in terms of at some stage, you're going to have to decide mm. when to open up. Yeah. And given the time of year, with schools and holidays, things like that, it probably is probably the lowest risk, albeit it's complicated now with the fact that we have got this variant that transmits so well. So it'll be really interesting to see how that pans out. But certainly looking at hospitalisation, severe illness, deaths, they're the numbers that a lot of people are going to focus on. I see Sam Conkey as well talking about uh, the whole aspect of vaccine-resistant variants. And when you get the Delta and there are big numbers of cases, he says there's a chance that something could slip by the vaccination. And then if that happened, it would take probably at least six months to adjust to vaccination to deal with that. Would you be as concerned? 
Uh, probably less so. There, there is obviously a, a risk. Uh, so when we generate an immune response, there, there, we generate two types of responses. One is we generate antibodies, and that protects us from infection. That stops you from getting the virus. If you get the virus, we then have T-cell immunity, and that's the immunity that kills off the virus, then it kills cells that are infected by the virus. I can certainly see situations, and it has happened already, where some of these variants can bypass to varying degrees some of the antibody-mediated protection. And the consequence of that is that some people who have been vaccinated will end up getting infected. But the second, the T-cell immunity, that, that is more resistant, I think, to being bypassed by the uh, variants. And the reason why I say that is that that T-cell immunity, it recognises many, many different regions of this spike protein, whereas antibodies only recognise maybe a handful of regions. These T-cells recognise up to maybe 100 different regions on that spike protein, and it'd be very difficult for a variant to completely bypass that. So while we may see, and this will not be the last variant, there's tens of thousands of variants. The ones that we're focusing on are variants of concern, are ones that show different properties with respect to how to transmit and maybe their virulence. But in terms of completely bypassing the vaccines, and vaccines would be very would, would be worthless, I don't really see that happening. And also, I don't think there's going to be a big bang, Jerry, in terms of that suddenly a variant will arise that will be completely resistant. Mm. I think it's sort of more incremental where these uh, variants accrue mutations over time. So you may see sort of an incremental effect but because it's incremental, it does give us and the pharmaceutical companies more time then in terms of preparing, re-engineering and tailoring the vaccine so that they're more specific against individual variants. Are then, uh, by extension, some of the vaccines being offered better in that T-cell field than others? Yeah, and especially what's, uh, what seems to be especially effective is when vaccines are mixed. So there's been a lot of discussion as of late in terms of a lot of focus on the two-dose AstraZeneca. And the two-dose AstraZeneca, we should say again, Jerry, protects you really well from serious illness. To do. In terms of protecting you from infection, probably not quite as protective as, for example, double Pfizer. But new studies now showing that if you were to take uh, an AstraZeneca followed four weeks later by a Pfizer, the amount of antibodies that you produce is probably about nine times higher than, for example, a double AstraZeneca. And the T cells produced is even higher than the double Pfizer. Now, that could be very, very useful going down because that may give us additional protection. So far, we know that approach, number one, is safe. Number two, you generate these stronger immune responses. We don't have the data in in terms of does it actually protect us in the real world from the virus. But I would expect, based on those immune responses and based on the correlation that we've seen with immune responses and protection in the real world, I'd be very, very surprised if they didn't translate into really, really strong protection in the real world. So I think with over time, Jerry, you're probably going to see a move towards the mixing of vaccines. That's what I predict over time. You've always said vaccines are, are the key to getting out of this and uh, the rollout continues. The numbers are strong each week now and the age profile of uh, vaccine availability is coming right down. And we hear, you know, pharmacies are inundated with people looking to register for the vaccine. The one, uh, I suppose, threat to this, Paul, is supply. It is supply, Jerry. yeah. And... It was announced last week, the Taoiseach announced last week that I think there was an, out, an outline deal done with Romania in terms of sourcing an additional one million uh, vaccines. 
I think that was due, which is a pity actually, it was due to low uptake in Romania because, you know, this is obviously going to be a global problem. But if that opportunity does arise, I think it'd be a really good one for uh, Ireland to avail of, like an extra million vaccines, which would essentially fully vaccinate half a million people, 10% of the population. Mm. That would go make significant inroads in terms of getting to a stage where we've got, you know, most of the population uh, vaccinated. Then the other aspect, Jerry, which is, you know, more... As again, it's generated a lot of discussion in terms of, and it will become more and more so, in terms of the vaccination of children. Because a lot of the figures that we've quoted in terms of that, and you see quoted all the time, relates to the percentage of adults that are uh, vaccinated. But obviously yes. children can be infected as well. So if you look at, if we've got maybe 70, 80% of our adult population, that may only correspond to maybe 50% of our entire population. So that that is something that's going to come into focus in terms of, Children should they be vaccinated at what age? The EMA, the European Medicines Agency, has already approved the Pfizer for uh, vaccination of children between 12 and 15. Uh, so again, there were some concerns when some of the studies, when you began to look at vaccination of young adults and as young as 12 up to the age of 30, 35, that there were, with the vaccines, with the RNA vaccines, there were some cases of myocarditis, such as inflammation of the heart muscle. But again, when you look at the benefits of that versus if you get COVID itself, this can also induce, you know, myocarditis mm. and other inflammatory conditions. Of, but, but that's probably an area and uh, an issue that probably you will see more discussed in more detail over the coming weeks, I would say, Jerry. Now, the EU digital COVID certs are uh, topical and being talked about uh, as we speak here. You know, there's talk that they'll be uh, delivered to 1.8 million people in this country to facilitate travel uh, and perhaps uh, indoor dining and wet pubs reopening. I know you've always been of the view that if we don't do it at this time of the year, well, when are we going to do it with autumn and then winter upon us before we, we know it? What are your thoughts on that? And, you know, again, you hear the publicans this week and the restaurateur saying, well, you know, we're going to have to police this. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be very difficult to police, to be honest, Jerry. But the one thing I would say, if we, if we have the technology, you know, use it. Uh, we have the technology and we're going to have the technology and we need the technology in order to be able to uh, comply with the EU digital uh, cert. And again, I think we're the only country at the moment that hasn't actually rolled that out and we're expecting to do that on the 19th of July. So it's surprising that we probably, you know, could we not use this for dining as opposed to replicate and, you know, make up another system. So the latest I heard was, you know, that paper forms or paper certificates were going to be sent out to everybody who's been Mm. doubly vaccinated. And so, again, I don't quite know how that, I thought in terms of our age of everybody, most people being being comfortable in terms of, you know, electronic formats for these type of things and the fact that it's going to be used for travel I would imagine that to me it seemed to make more sense not why not you know just use this as well to facilitate indoor dining and then you know some discussion as well in terms of to avoid any inequity in, in this situation what about for all those especially younger people who haven't had the, haven't had the possibility of being vaccinated and you know could we use rapid antigen testing and so I'd be in favour of that, Jerry. But I think rather than focus in terms of we know a lot of these rapid action tests are technical performance and how well they do, you know, there is a little bit of work in terms of rolling them out. So if you wanted to test a lot of people at once, the logistics associated with that, I think that's what we should be focusing on in terms of putting these types of trials in place to make sure that we're now ready to roll it out. 
So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But my view would be that if the technology exists, rather than reinventing the wheel, just use that and use that for the facilities indoor dining as well. Before we finish today, is it still important? I know uh, like you mentioned Boris and he's just, look, it's it's going to be open season, it looks like. But, you know, only months ago we were saying, keep your distance, wash your hands, wear the mask, take care. Are those, uh, you know, nuggets of advice still and will they still be relevant going forward? They are, Jerry, but I would probably reprioritise them. I think... A lot of the focus, if you recall, you know, 18 months, well, maybe 15, 16 months ago, it was very much sort of on hand, hand hygiene initially. Now it's been shown that the risk of getting infection from contaminated surfaces, it does exist, but it's very, very low risk. Mm. And the big risk is air. So this is airborne and air hygiene is, is really the important thing. And in terms of, I think, probably one of the things that we probably could have done better and maybe the government and public health could have done better was a focus much earlier on in terms of air hygiene. There is beginning to be some focus on that, but we do know because this is airborne, it's really important that we focus on air hygiene. So even simple things. So for example, schools are going to get these carbon dioxide monitors. That monitors the freshness of the air. So that there's lots of people in there breathing out lots of carbon dioxide, the level of that is going to go high. So that tells us really when you know, a room needs to be ventilated. And I think simple little things like that, even for example, restaurants and where the fitting of those, which are relatively cheap, and even fixing them up to a monitor where you can actually see the level of carbon dioxide. So and then in a way, Jerry, you can go in and you can make your own decision in terms of, you know, are you happy enough yes. to go in there? So I think things like that, so I would sort of reprioritize that it's airborne, so air hygiene now is a really important thing. And obviously as well as, well as those, uh, you know, putting measures in place like that, Mass wearing obviously helps in that in terms of because it's airborne, it, it, it reduces. So, so those types of um, you know direct uh, activities in terms of being proactive, I think they still apply. But certainly in terms of it's airborne, air hygiene is the important one. Paul, fantastic. Thank you so much indeed for your uh, sound advice as usual and opinions. Thank you very much for joining me again on the show. You're very welcome, Jerry. Professor Paul Moyna there, immunologist, head of the Department of Biology and director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. You haven't much time. What am I talking about? The Meath Garda Youth Awards 2021. Ah, they're terrific awards. I've been judging them myself uh, for a few years. They happen biannually and it's presented by the Meath Garda Division in association with Centra. And they recognise the very positive contribution young people between the ages of 13 and 21 are making to their community. Now, the closing date is Friday, so time is of the essence. Now, this Friday, the 9th of July, you can download the form. If there's a young person in your area in County Mead you'd like to nominate, you can download it from centra.ie forward slash about forward slash Garda Youth Awards. So centra.ie, the form is there, and you drop them into either Navin, Ashburn, Trim or Kells Garda stations. They'll take the entries off you. Get your entries in. It's a wonderful acknowledgement. And uh, if uh, if we can at all, I'm sure we'll be gathering for the night. If not, it'll head into the online sphere. But get your entries in before Friday, please. Jerry Thomas Markey was my grandfather. I was nine years old when he passed away. I spent time with him in 64 Baymore Road. I got that message yesterday. I only copped it when the show was over. We were talking to Sean Collins about Thomas Markey, the painter. Lovely to hear from you. And I know his relations in the UK were on looking for the podcast after the show yesterday, which we have pointed them towards. Remember, we podcast 
Late Lunch every day. If you go to lmfm.ie into Late Lunch and it's listen back there, you can listen to the show if you miss us during the day, if you want to catch up on something. What else did I want to say to you today? Oh, I, I just noticed this and I, look, I've spoken about it before. Did you know that over the 4th of July weekend in America, in the United States, that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday and the holiday. The holiday was the Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Over that weekend, uh, 150 people were shot dead in America. 150 people were shot dead over last weekend from Friday night to Sunday and 400 shootings took place across the USA. Isn't it just mad? And I say it again, when you have a free-for-all with guns and military-style assault weapons, that's what happens. 150 dead, 400 shootings on the 4th of July as they celebrate. The NRA can say what they like. Have a look at other countries where there's tighter regulation. Not the colour of that, is there? And shouldn't be. It's shocking. And uh, if you're hearing that for the first time, I'm surprised. I won't be surprised if you're shocked either because it shocked me even knowing all of the fatalities that happens in the States every day. It's, it's so sad. It really is so sad. And yet people can't see. They can't see the wood from the trees, to be honest with you. But I just said I'd mention it on the show this afternoon. Don't forget, tell me the story about your song. Oh, I have a lovely prize to give away today. €189 for Specsavers. It's a voucher. You can use it on any type of glasses, sunglasses, prescription, whatever you want. 75 Ticketmaster voucher for your next concert. €264 in total. All you have to do is... Tell me about the song in your life that's special to you. You may have a few, but you might pick one. If there's a story around it, I want to hear it. Let me know. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show or call in on 1850-715-958. My next guest never picked up a racket in her life. That's until 2018 when she picked up a tennis racket and decided to give the sport a go. She is now one of the top players in the country and internationally but with a difference, she plays blind tennis. I'm delighted to say hello to Babs Weberg on Late Lunch today. Hello, Babs. Before we get into the tennis, will you tell me how Dundalk became your adopted home? I moved over to Ireland on the 2nd of September in 2000. I met an Irish family from Charleville in Cork in 95 in Germany when I had to stay there in hospital. And they were so different in their attitudes, their behaviours, and how they did, what they did. I got interested in Ireland because everything you heard was bad. So I started reading books, and I came to Ireland Easter 98, when we had the Good Friday Agreement, which I surely at that time did not know what all the fuss was about. I came to Dublin and I travelled also along the coast towards the north. I decided that I want to move over and uh, stay in Dundalk. Yes, in 2000, then I got everything sorted and I moved over and never looked back. The thing about you is you have very little eyesight. Tell us the story of the loss of your eyesight. It went down gradually and I have now about four or five percent of eyesight. So I'm registered legally blind, but I am proud of the little sight I have left because 
I am very stubborn to not give in. So I managed quite well. And how did you lose your eyesight? What caused it? I have type 1 diabetes for the last 33 years. That was one of the reasons. And then there was a few other little things that progressed it. But the diabetes was the main reason. And tell me, the diabetes it began with, you had sight up until what age? How long are you at this very low percentage of vision? 20 years now. I moved over here in September 2000 and by the end of 2001 I realised that I couldn't see the television properly anymore and went to a specialist and at that point I was told that I've already lost 50% of my sight. Then they tried to give me injections and laser treatment and lots of different things, but uh, they couldn't stop the deterioration. Was it difficult adjusting from, at one stage, having sight, and you weren't long living in your new home in Dundalk, to having very little? For some people, it happened overnight from one day to another. And thanks be to God, in my case, I was lucky enough that it happened gradually. So I could always adjust. It was always difficult when I realized that I'd lost a little bit of sight again and to try to deny it and say, oh, it's the light or whatever, or I'm not in good form. But finally, you have to admit to yourself, yeah, it has gone down again. And whenever I went into the eye clinic, I got the confirmation that it did went down another little bit. I was in so far lucky that I had the chance always to adjust. I take yes. it you can find your way around Dundalk. You're very familiar with your surroundings there. That's not an issue. But what if you go outside of town? Is it a challenge every time? I have a very good sense of direction. So if I've been somewhere once, I can remember, and that helps me personally an awful lot. But when I have to go somewhere else where I haven't been before or travel on train route or bus route I've never been before, then usually I take somebody with me. That helps. Now, here's the twist in the tale about Babs Weberg. She is a top sportswoman, folks. Yes, she is, as she plays tennis. And she didn't take it up until later in her life when she had restricted vision. Tell them your story and the tennis. Well, it started in May 2018 that I got a phone call from somebody here in the blind centre if I was interested in playing blind tennis and I have to be honest, like most of the people who are listening to this program, I have never heard of visually impaired tennis or blind tennis. But I said, yes, I come around. I have a look what that is all about. So I did go and they provided us with sound balls. You have to imagine that the ball is like a little beach ball very spongy and the inner core has it's like a little golf ball inside with uh, plastic beads so we hear the sound 
when the ball bounces. We were provided with these balls and rackets, and I got my racket and I played a few balls against the wall and I was hooked right away. And I went home, went the next day to the sports shop and bought my racket. And uh, since then, I love it. She is one of the top players now in Ireland in a very short space of time in her category. And in fact, she's been to the Blind Tennis World Championships. Yes. Yes, I have been in 2000. Um, in 2019, we played in Alicante in Spain and I was uh, nominated to be a member of the Irish team and had the honour to represent my island, what I'm so very proud of, in Spain at the Blind Tennis World Championship. And you are rated fourth in the world in your category. Congratulations. It is some achievement and it just shows everybody. It's about determination, wanting to do something, trying new things and ability, of course, in there as well. You're an inspiration, Babs. Thank you. (laughs) But I have to say that because blind tennis here in Ireland is still so young, that there is so many opportunities for people of all ages because there is no age discrimination in in blind tennis. Anybody from a teenager to an elderly person can play and everybody would be welcomed. And we like to see more clubs and coaches coming on board So if anybody of your listeners is involved in managing a tennis club, get information from Vision Sports Ireland. They guide you and they help you and um, everything starts from there. Because there is lots and lots of people in this country who have a sight problem, visually impaired or even blind. So that's the place to find all the information. I know you're a regular player and you travel as well to play here in this country. I take it that Wimbledon is on your radar this week. The tennis championships are back. Yes, thanks be to God. And I am actually having one eye on the the screen. Uh, Even though I have to say it is tremendously difficult for me to watch it and um, I'm sitting about uh, 50 centimeters away from a big screen. Still can't get all of it. But I try to. And it's the atmosphere that I pick up. And I like that. And the determination of the player. That is something that I always found very fascinating. And of course, the commentary is a tremendous help to you as well. You can hear what's going on. Who's your favorite yeah. tennis player? Uh, I think it's. The trio of Nadal, uh, Federer and Djokovic. And um, all of them have something particularly special to them. And and, uh, I like that.
But of all time, I think it was John McEnroe because I know like that he was so naughty in those times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with you all the way on that one. I absolutely adored McEnroe myself and he is my favourite player of all time. Listen, I'm going to let you back to enjoy the tennis there. Thank you so much for telling us your story. You're a real inspiration and good luck to you with the tennis and everything else in your life and world championships. Here she comes again. Thank you very much, Jerry. And it was an honor and a pleasure uh, talking to you. And as I said, if anybody is interested, go and get the information from Vision Sport Island. Babs, you're a star. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you. Bye. Isn't she just lovely? She really is. And it just shows you it's all about ability. Ability, determination, wanting to succeed. There you are. Uh, Very little vision. She has tiny percentage. And yet she's out there enjoying tennis and playing tennis as the championships continue at Wimbledon. I mentioned there a moment ago. Thanks indeed for your comments, your recommendations of songs uh, to go along with your story. We'll be talking to a listener shortly on Late Lunch. They have a story to tell and a special song. It could be you. I have a lovely prize every day this week from Specsavers and Ticketmaster. Uh, Specsavers voucher for €189. You'll go well with that, I promise you. And a €75 Ticketmaster voucher for your next gig. €264 in total. All you have to do is tell me a song. A song in your life that's special to you and the story about it. You have to come on here, tell me, and that prize could be yours. One each day this week. Noelle Bow, we spoke to yesterday, and she picked up the lovely prize with her story. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. Jerry, a lot of data from the UK is saying fully vaccinated people with the AstraZeneca are being hospitalised. One in eight people uh, is the figure that I've been hearing. Surely it's risky uh, to use that now for the younger cohorts, as Nyack is advising. Thanks indeed for that comment. Uh, hi, Jerry. While you're on the topic of US gun laws, a bizarre statistic for you is that most deaths from privately owned guns in the US are discharged. By children, yes, and uh, I'm quite aware that children and the accidents that happen, but come on, there are so many as well. People just lose their head, grab the gun and don't think about the consequences at all. That's the price you pay for being able to go into your local supermarket and buy an automatic weapon. Did you ever hear the likes of it in your life? The greatest nation in the world. At times, I have to scratch my head and think, well... Greatest nation, maybe, but really dumb in many aspects as well. And when it comes to uh, guns, dumb and dumber, I have to say. Uh, if you have something to say, 086-1800-658, as I mentioned, by WhatsApp or text. Short break, back in a moment. Staying with music, because something caught my attention. You know my Artist of the Week. I did feature Queen as my Artist of the Week well, a few weeks back. I don't know when it was. Anyway... Queen's Greatest Hits, I'm sure I have the album in the attic, another feature on Late Lunch, is on course, listen to this, to reclaim the number one spot in the UK album charts for the first time in 40 years. It was number one, Queen's Greatest Hits, 40 years ago, and it spent four weeks at number one in 1981. And it's been on the charts in the UK, listen to this, for an incredible 952 weeks. Now, the 40th anniversary edition has been just released. And it includes an album, the album, a CD and a cassette of the album in a special cover. I think I'll buy it myself, to be honest with you. And listen to this. It is the 
biggest selling album of all time, uh, their greatest hits. Six million copies up to 2019 were sold and still being sold. And it's an incredible, incredible piece of work. So the special edition is out. And to uh, mark the success, it's almost on the cusp of number one. I want to go back to Queen today. And here we have Gaga. Radio Gaga and Queen on your late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Wonderful, wonderful song. I play it again if you uh, are just joining us. Welcome to the show. Because Queen's Greatest Hits is on course to reclaim the number one spot in the UK charts for the first time in 40 years. Special edition released and it's been snapped up. Six million plus copies sold. The uh, largest selling album of all time set to hit number one again in the charts all these years later. It's a great, great story, isn't it? Thank you for your songs and your stories. They're coming in. You're in the hat. You may get the call. Stand by. But uh, again, I have a lovely prize to give away from Specsavers and Ticketmaster each day on the show your song, the story about it, and tell me here on Late Launch. And if you're not in today, there's opportunities to win Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Vroom, vroom, we're on the road again. It's uh, one of our regulars on Late Launch. Delighted to welcome to the show David Bannon from Mazda. He's their specialist in PR product and marketing. And of course, our motoring man, Tony Conlin. Hello to you, gentlemen. Good, Jerry. How are we? Thank you. And David, how are you? Thanks for joining me on the show, everybody. Tony, the focus is on Mazda today and this absolutely stunning-looking, fully electric MX-30. Yeah, it is. There's no no doubt about it. And I suppose the fact of the matter is we wanted to speak, I wanted to speak, I mean, was that, in my view, Mazda's, they all have made beautifully built cars. Because I I can say this because I own one way back. I I had the pleasure of winning one once in a raffle. It was a Mazda 323, and I absolutely loved it. And kept it for a year. I was being offered money, but I said I wanted the car. Kept the car, and I actually got more money after a year first. So that tells you something. Ah, Tony, you're the man. You're the man. You know. (laughs) So anyway, look, this car is all about style. It's all about build quality. It's all about paint finish. There's no doubt at all about it. It's like something an artist produced. There's one little hiccup. You can argue a little bit about the the the, the coverage of the kilometres. the electrical range of it is about 200 kilometres. But it's like it's like the, the guy measuring you for a suit or a pair of shoes. You pay it to your, to your, to your cost or whatever, what suits you. And uh, it, there's there's a place for it. There's a place for every car in this world, Jerry. But to get the, the factor right, if you want to drive to Galway and back every day, or maybe even even to the far end of Wicklow and back every day from, from Drada or Trim, you're not, it's not going to do it. So uh, that's the fact of the matter is. But otherwise, if you do short mileage, it is stunning. And I love the freestyle doors, as Mazda calls them. They hinge to the rear. I love, it might be a little bit of stooping involved for if you're a large adult to get into the back of it, but you know what? The exercise is well worth it. Uh, the, the, the recycled element of it, to show where the Japanese have come from here, parts of the doors are covered with material made from recycled bottles. Part of the leather seating is made of vegan leather, and the lower part of the dashboard is made of cork. Now you might say, God, that's a queer cocktail, but you know what, Jerry? It works. Yeah. So I, I leave it at that other than say it's beautiful looking, very well built, extremely well equipped and compact and a large boot, 366 litres. And just remember one thing, it's for urban driving, basically urban driving. 
Yeah, it's a beaut. I have to say and that. It handles, Jerry. That's another factor. Yeah. Handles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, uh, the handling of it uh, is uh, one that's been remarked as well. David Bannon from Mazda. Thank you for joining us on the show. Tony giving it uh, a hell of a recommendation there. Just on the battery. What's just confirm the the range on the battery again? Yeah. So we've put in a smaller battery into the Mazda MX-30 for a couple of specific reasons. But the range is an average of about 200 kilometers. You can get more, you can get less, depending on what kind of driving you do. But the reasons that we chose a smaller battery is because we decided not to get into this race for range that a lot of other manufacturers are getting caught up in. And there's a specific reason for that. And it's that it comes down to department footprint, the uh, emissions that are produced in actually producing the batteries to begin with. And the MX-30 was specifically produced for the European market. And we found while doing the research in terms of looking at the European market is that the average daily driving distance is 48 kilometers. Yeah. That's even less than Ireland. So we've put a small battery into the car because when you buy an electric vehicle, there's three stages that you can look at it when you're looking at the carbon emissions that come with that car. First is actually producing the vehicle. The second is owning and driving the vehicle. And the third is recycling and disposal at the end of the life cycle. So if somebody buys an electric vehicle that has a big battery in it and they only do the short distance, whether you're driving to the shops, you're driving to school or driving to work, and you're, you're working within that short range of, of 48 kilometers that the European um, driving distance is, you, you basically bought a vehicle that has this big backpack of CO2 that, that came with producing that battery. So you've got this, this car that's sitting on your driveway that you have a lot of CO2 that came with it that you need to do a lot of mileage to basically break even with your equivalent petrol or diesel, whatever that may be. So yeah. we're very honest. Yeah. Go on. yeah, you make a very good case for uh, the 200 kilometres. And you're right. You know, the average journey, if you look at it, yes, if you're doing the longer ones, as Tony said, well, you do need to look elsewhere. But the majority of people will fall within that 200. Just on the time frame, how long does it take to charge it up? So you can, there's a couple of ways of charging up electric vehicles. The fastest way is a DC fast charger. So you get it to around 80% in between 30 and 40 minutes. That's good. You, you can you can charge from home and you can charge on, on uh, public charge points as well. And depending on which one you choose from, it can range anything between three and four hours on a public charge point or uh, five or six hours from a home charge point if you have one installed. And what we're doing for 212, our 212 campaign, is we're actually offering customers a free wall box charge point to every MX-30 that they purchase because it's important. It's an important part of owning an electric car, especially MX-30 that has about 200 kilometres. So you can always leave with a full charge. Mm. And uh, Tony addressed the issue there of sustainability and certainly inside the and outside, in fact, uh, the philosophy is... Uh, you know, recycling, sustainability, that's part of the Mazda ethos. The other thing, five cars, five star end cap, a really, really safe car. The connectivity I've been looking at this morning is superb as well. In a general sense, you know, can you talk to me about Mazda for a moment? This car, you're on a, on this journey. Where, where where are Mazda going with the brand? What's your 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 aim there? Yeah, absolutely. We're we're in a, we're in a very unique and important milestone for our brand at the minute. And that's, we're on this journey to premium. Uh, we've been making this journey for the last couple of years now. 
Uh, last year was actually another important milestone for the brand and that we are 100 years old since we were first established in 1920. Um, and MX30 is, is, that carries across a lot of the heritage. As Tony mentioned earlier on, you see cork within the cabin of the MX30. And that gives a nod back to when the brand was first mm. uh, established as a cork manufacturer, which then moved into developing vehicles. So we're, we're on this we're on this very unique and exciting journey as a brand. And where we sit right now is is a position between what you would say the premium and the non-premium, at least on price, not quite on, even on, on quality. As Tony, I'm sure you'd be able to agree that the quality is, is becoming more and more aligned with the premium brands. Uh, we've sort of fantastic design, fantastic technology goes into the vehicles themselves. And, and even though the MX-30 fits in, to our product lineup as our first battery electric vehicle, we as a brand, we, we're known for going against the norm in terms of of what the industry standard may be. And putting a smaller battery with the, with the mindset of reducing carbon emissions is one example of that. And we're known throughout the years of taking similar examples with the rotary engine for, um, uh, and also a more recent technological, technological breakthrough, which is our SkyTivX engine and this is we're the first manufacturer to produce an engine that uses both petrol and diesel technology in the one engine right the x it's a two liter petrol engine but the result is it's an extremely efficient very low co2 but quite a powerful engine as well and a lot of the new technology that we're coming out with is paired with a uh, a mild hybrid or electrified uh, drivetrain as well Okay, so you are, you know, besides electric, looking at other aspects of the way an engine is fueled as well and how that can be done in the most friendly way to environment. Tony, come back, come back in there for a moment. Yeah, Yeah, what I want to say is just go to Sky Active first and I want to go back to the style factor, if you don't mind, very quickly, Jerry. Uh, The Sky Active engine is very interesting because I I drove the CX-30 and the CX-5 and very interestingly, I know it's a core figure, but I, I have my own figures on this too, that it's able to achieve economy similar to the outgoing 1.8 diesel engine that has been re- recently discontinued by Mazda. I thought that was an interesting quote. And the other aspect of it is they're quoting 5.7 litres per kilometre, which is 49 miles per gallon. And do you know what? Without having uh, a, a, getting into a panic or any anxiety or anything, I actually was, was receiving 6.2 to 6.5 between 43 and 45 and that was with four adults in the car on a drive up north and back, Jerry. Mm. So there's nothing really wrong with that. Now let me just say one other thing and we'll let you back, back in on this. I, I, there's a lot of people out there might not know an awful lot about brake horsepower, the type of disc brakes they have or <clears throat> torque factors and all this or CD factors and coefficient, but what every human being has, with the tanks full of God, most people is is a, a, an understanding of beauty, and the fact of the matter is, and I can lay my cards on the table with this: the MX30. When I had the car out, whether whether it was because more of the soul red, crystal metallic colour or the style, it was a combination of both. The public, young and old, loved the car. The car got more admiration than a lot of cars in recent times. And I'm just looking through my diary and I'm going back nearly six months of cars. I got more admiration 
than most of them. And, and Tony Conlon's good looks as well. Sure, we have to say that has uh, been a given. I, I understand that no matter what he drives. But and, uh, Tony, seriously, I do know yeah. what you're saying. This yeah. car will turn heads. There's no doubt about it. I say that of uh, uh, across the board. It, it is a beauty. It's a, it's a real looker. Look, um, David, just back to you. Entry 32,000 just over. Uh, there's the 5K uh, SEAI grant. Is that included in that 32 or do you get that? off the 32? So the starting price for the MX-30 range is now just under 31. Okay. So we were we were launching and that's with the grants included on top, okay. uh, included in that. So, so you can get it from, from about 31. There Thir- was a first edition model that we've been launching for the last while. I believe we're still selling them. There's still some in stock and you get a significant amount of extra spec okay. for just under 32,000. All right, okay. So, in, in, in a general sense, you know, we, we hear Tony talking there about petrol. You've mentioned petrol and diesel. What's the the situation on the ground with Mazda customers and new people coming to Mazda? Are people warming to the electric? Yes, they are. It's, it's significantly becoming more and more um, of interest. We've seen it ourselves, even though we only have one fully electric offering, a lot of the technology that we're, we're bringing out in terms of our petrol and diesel engines, they're becoming more aligned with some some sort of electrification, whether it's a, a small mild hybrid, we're going to be coming out with plug-in hybrids. The, the approach we've taken is what we call a multi-solution approach, so that we have a product offering that's going to fit the needs of any customer who comes, who comes in. So we're, we're very clear and very honest about the MX-30 not suiting the lifestyle and the needs of everybody. If someone has, say, a, a second vehicle to do long distance or if they fit the profile of the short journeys um, or, if, if more importantly, if they, they have the capability of being able to charge at home, yes, the, the electric vehicle is for them. But because we're still in this position where electric technology is quite new, yep. that that it's it's still quite inefficient to develop the batteries, but that's not to say that it's not going to become more efficient over time. Of course. Most people are still driving electric and they're still driving diesel, especially here in Ireland. So we've been, as a brand, we've been concentrating on trying to get the internal combustion engine as efficient as it possibly can. And SkyTivX is a, is a, a nice example of that, where yeah. Tony said we have it, it, quite a powerful, almost 180 brake horsepower, two-liter petrol engine that is, as efficient as what was our most efficient ever diesel engine, the 1.8. If somebody comes in and is looking for a specific model, our, our dealer network will guide them in the right direction of what powertrain is right for them, what model is right for them, whether it be petrol, diesel, scat of X, uh, or electric. Yeah. Okay, so the range is there. And just to mention in the northeast, Brian Reynolds and Dorn Motors are the dealers where you can check out the full range of Mazda vehicles. Lads, I have to leave it there for today. Tony, as always, thank you. And David Bannon from Mazda. Great to talk to you both today. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, gentlemen. That's uh, the MX Mazda, the fully electric MX 30 Mazda we've been talking about there. It's a beaut. Have a look at it. It really, really is. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Up next, we have one of you calling in to talk to me with a story around a song. We're heading to Carlinstown near Kells now for our story and song this afternoon. And I'm delighted to say hello to Marion Donlin. Marion, how are you? Hello, Jerry. How are you? 
I'm good. I just love your story. Come on. The nation awaits. Tell it to them. Take us back. What? You, this is a, a few moons ago. When was this? This was about 1972, yep. 71. And uh, I had to go to the INU hospital in Dublin for surgery on my nose. Mm. And um, while I was in there, a song came on the radio by Peters and Lee called Welcome Home. Mm. And when I was listening to it, I felt felt very lonesome from my boyfriend. And I sat down and I wrote a letter to him because in those days, like, he was the only one that had a car and my family didn't. Mm. So... um, I wrote him a letter and I told him that I loved him and that I missed him and um, that I was listening to Peters and Lee and that that made me realise how how I felt about him. Oh, oh, hearts are breaking (laughs) all over as we listen Uh, to you. I could just picture Peters and Lee there singing and I don't know... That song always did something for me, and I realised. So I wrote to him and I told him how I felt. And um, he came up then on the weekend to visit me in the hospital, and uh, he said that the letter moved him, and that he loved me too, and that would I, would I marry him? Oh, oh. <laughs> what I was thrilled. And he had a little card with him for me, and on the card was written, i glad I met you. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a real tearjerker. What a love story we're getting today on Late Lunch. Oh, Marion, he's an old romantic. Yes, yes, it was very romantic, yes. <laughs> What's his name? His name is Ambrose. And how long were you going out? We were going out about six months at the time. Mm. And uh, we got married about a year later. Good on you. And um, you were telling me then that actually you're only back in Ireland in recent years. Well, where did you go? Where did life take you? Oh, we we were in Canada. Right. Um, our children were 10 and 12 when we went out there. Um, friends of ours were going as well. The the mines were looking for workers. Yeah. And my husband being a heavy duty mechanic and his friend as well, we thought we'd all go with a nice future for our children. Mm. So off we went. We arrived there. Amber's went first. She went in October and we went out in December. And we arrived in Toronto on the 13th of December. And, oh, my God, I'll never forget (laughs) the snow and the cold. And, honest to God, (laughs) if you sneeze, it'll freeze before it'll fall down. (laughs) If you sneeze, it'll freeze. I'm telling you, honest to God, it was was, um, very, very cold at that just happened to be uh, very cold because we were going to Northern Ontario yeah. mm. where the mines were there. Yes. And um, 
we're going to a little town called Manitowage. Yes. And uh, how long did you stay there? For how long were you in Canada for? Many 30 years. Thirty years. Thirty years. And why did you come 30. home? Why? Mm. Because the winters got <laughs> too bad. We were tired shoveling snow <laughs> the driveway and got to the stage where uh, we weren't able for it. Yes, anymore. Yes. You know, without yeah. not joking, though, our children uh, wanted us to retire back to Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So, because they still come home to visit. Ah, oh, great. And, and they're living uh, over there, are they? Yeah. And their yes, families. And yeah. I have a big family here. Okay, okay. And yeah. um, you love them still? Oh, very much so, Terry. More than Terry. ever. I'm still at home and he's home. Ah, listen, <laughs> this is just marvellous. Anyway, you are our winner today. The voucher for oh, spec savers and the Ticketmaster voucher are yours, Marion, today. And here is oh, your song. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Terry. God bless. I'm so alone, I love without you. You're a part of everything I do. Glad to clarify your previous message. I was talking about the awful amount of fatalities in the USA, 150 over the uh, celebrations of the 4th of July weekend just gone and over 400 shootings. And I had a message from a listener. I'm glad to clarify. I I understood this for myself, but maybe for those listening today, uh, the listener said that many people have lost their lives because of toddlers discharging guns and they're accidental. Yes, I I do realise that. And that's what I took from it as well. Uh, and glad to clarify that. Thanks for coming back to me. Um, just reminding you that our Saturday set series of Facebook gigs continues to bring amazing talent to you every weekend on our Facebook page. And this coming weekend is no different with the brilliant Andy Dempsey. Andy's just released a fantastic new self-produced video for a single Alive. And this weekend you can hear the live version with us. That Saturday sets with Andy Dempsey live this Saturday from nine o'clock on the LMFM Facebook page. Now, my artist of the week is the wonderful Nat King Cole. Playing piano in nightclubs around Los Angeles, Nat formed a trio with Wesley Prince and Oscar Moore, calling themselves the King Cole Trio, like the name. He recorded Seek Sweet Lorraine in 1940, which became his first big hit. He signed with the Decca record label and broke new ground, securing a slot on radio in the mid-40s, the first show to be presented by a black musician. The hits began to flow too with the likes of Route 66, Too Young and Mona Lisa, which I played yesterday, propelling Nat King Cole to the top of the charts and opening the door to many more opportunities and possibilities. As the 1940s turned into the 50s, his star was firmly in the ascendancy and he made history again with another first, this time on TV, becoming the first African-American to host a variety show on NBC television. Yet despite its popularity, a lack of sponsorship which Cole put down to pure racism saw the curtain fall on the Nat King Cole show after a year. Yet record sales in the States and around the world were phenomenal. Thanks to timeless classics like this one. Unforgettable That's what you are 
Trahan and Eastmead Hospice Foundation are hosting their 26th annual golf classic at Laytown and Bettystown Golf Club this Friday. And listen to this, folks. Over the years, they've raised €366,000. What an achievement. To tell me more about the event on Friday and reflect, I'm joined on the line by Michael Breheny. Hello, Michael. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Congratulations on the longevity and the amount of money you've raised and all the people you've helped. Ah, lovely. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you. It started with who? It started with, well, I think we all knew him, Pudgy Leach. Yeah. That pal. And then he ran, and God love uh, Pudgy got ill and uh, passed to me, rest in peace. And then Paddy Monaghan took over, and that's when I joined. So uh, it went from strength to strength, really. And uh, it's still going very strong. But as you can appreciate, COVID has put a restriction on it. Yeah, it surely has. I knew Paddy well as well. He was a great man and a great supporter of uh, the Hospice Foundation as well. COVID has put a blimmin', uh, put the kibosh on on everything. But look, if you're going ahead this Friday. Yes, we're going ahead. And uh, I was just looking at the timesheet, Jerry. There are, we can facilitate 56 teams. Mm-hmm. And we have 54 teams. Ah, come on, folks. Two more teams needed for Friday. We have to be able to fill the sheet. Unfortunately, they need to be an early bird and a late bird. Okay. Well, look, anybody listening today who can go early or play late, there are just two spaces left and they'd love to see it full on Friday. There are other ways, though, as well of supporting. Yes. Yes, Jerry. Jerry, we have, um, again... COVID has put a stop to it. We used to, we had people sponsoring a golf hole for a hundred euro. Mm. Well, that has gone by the wayside now too because yeah. uh, we used to put their names up on the yes. box and do all that. But anyway, what people are doing now and they are absolutely brilliantly generous. They're just giving us a subscription. Yeah, it can be the amount. It just doesn't matter what the amount is. And what we're doing, we put that amount into an envelope with their name on it. Okay. And we put that into the raffle. We don't sell tickets either, again, because of COVID restrictions. Okay. okay. So we do that. And we also ask them, we like to have as many prizes in, in the raffle as we can. And if they, do, if they have something that they don't want at home, like a bottle of whiskey or brandy or something, they donate, donate that too. Okay, so if you donate, your name goes into the raffle, you're looking for prizes for the raffle as well. All support is just needed at this time and so welcome. So, look, I know there's a bank account, but what's the easiest way? Can people call to the club on Friday? Well, Jerry, if I give you, we have an exceptional worker, Helen, who is employed by Leighton and Bellison Golf Club in the office. And I just can't speak highly enough of the assistance, never mind her own workload, the Mm. assistance she gives us she keeps our she keeps our computer system right up to the minute, and if I give you Helen's number, yes, please. She she said that just ring her, and if, let's say somebody has something in Drogheda and there's no way of getting it out, just ring her, and one of the one of the commi- one of the hospice committee will go out easily and collect it. You know, okay. and the so number the number is oh four one nine eight two seven. Sorry, so oh four one nine eight two seven one seven zero. Lovely. Extension five. 
Okay, I, I'll give that a plug for you as well over the over no. the over the coming days. So that's oh four one nine eight two seven one seven zero and extension five for Helen, and she look after all donations, arrange to collect them, or tell you what you can do to support this wonderful, wonderful day. The work uh, goes on; it's ongoing for the hospice. You've helped so many. I say again, haven't you? Oh yes, and look, I, I experienced it myself, unfortunately, and I just can't speak hard enough. Yes. Yes, and Michael, you're great. You're giving back now yourself to help others. And, you know, there isn't a family uh, that probably listening today that hasn't been touched in one way or another. But it's a great testament to all those men you mentioned, Pudgy Leach, Paddy Monin, and all the people through the years, your committee at the moment, that this is in its 26th year. Absolutely. And, Jerry, if I could, la- I would like to make a, a point about uh, our board of management and our captains. Like they afford this facility to us every year, and it's absolutely brilliant. And I'd just like to thank the Board of Management through Pat O'Donoghue, our Lady Captain Anne Bellew, and our Gents Captain Jerry Wicken. They're absolutely brilliant. Ah, they're a wonderful just club like- there, and an institution, and... Uh- People that have enjoyed the facilities there at Laytown, Betty's Town for years and years. So it's this Friday, the 26th annual Golf Classic for Drodden District, uh, Drodden Eastmead Hospice Foundation. And if you can help folks, you hear the story today. All money's going directly to the local area. It doesn't go anywhere else. Absolutely correct, Jerry. What, what we make here stays here, Drodden and Eastmead. It's uh, wonderful. I wish you well. I hope the weather's good. You'll get those two teams, no yeah. problem. But if you can donate a prize or make a donation, it'll be gratefully accepted. Helen at the club, 041-9827-170, extension 5. I wish you well. Keep doing Jerry. what you're doing. Uh, Jerry. I appreciate it very much for allowing me that time to just get that out there. Not at all. You're so welcome, Michael. Thank you for joining Lovely. me on the show today. Lovely, Jerry. Take bye care bye. of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Michael Breheny there from the Drogheda Eastmead Hospice Foundation. They are a fantastic organisation. Think of that money 366,000 they've raised so far, and they're going to raise another ball of money again this year despite COVID. That's a lot on the show today. Tomorrow, Alan Hare is with me. Has he uh, sussed out the future of transport with his VeloCycle? Dr Mary McCreevy's here. She encourages us to trust our gut. Siobhan O'Neill White and things to do with your children this summer and our Specsavers competition. A song and a story from you. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. But I leave you today with this little message I got and it really touched me, I have to say. Jerry. Can you play a song by Bruno Mars called Talking to the Moon? I lost my son, Ian, in March 2019 to suicide. He was 25. The song is beautiful, just like Ian. He has his own star in the sky named after him. He's loved and missed every day by everyone, especially me. His heartbroken ma'am, Sinead, who's listening in Dundalk today. Sinead, for you, Ian, and to his memory, here is Bruno Mars. I know you're somewhere out there, somewhere far away. I want you back. I want you back. My neighbors think I'm crazy, but they don't understand. You're all I had. You're all I had. At night when the stars light. Sit 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 